Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God and it contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you're here this week. Hope you're ready to study some Bible questions with us and see if we can find the answers to some of the things you've asked in the weeks past. And that's what we do on this program is deal with viewers' questions you're brand new, look down there at the bottom of the screen and you'll notice there's a phone number and a website. Phone number will put you in touch with some uh, live operators or an answering machine if it's after hours. And uh, the website will put you in touch with uh, our website where you can learn a little bit about Know Your Bible and also ask a question if you'd like to. So either one of those methods is how you direct the program. Uh, you tell us what you'd like us to talk about on Know Your Bible. We get a lot of real specific Bible questions. We get a lot of life questions, uh, things that are going on in your life or uh, the country perhaps, and you wonder what the Bible has to say about it. We try to find answers to all of that kind of stuff. So give us a call or log on and let us know what you want us to talk about. Toby Levering's back to help me this morning. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. Glad you're here and ready to go. And uh, as usual, we start with a question for our viewing audience. Make sure they're studying the Bible a little bit. Uh, this one today is, how many brothers did Joseph have? Uh, Joseph had, and we're talking about Joseph in the Old Testament, uh, the one with a lot of brothers, uh, not Joseph, the mother of or the uh, husband of Mary. So, uh, Joseph in the Old Testament, how many brothers did he have? That's your assignment today, and we'll give you an answer at the end of the program. See if you can get that one right. All right, Toby, you got the first one today, so okay. start us off. Well, my assignment is to answer the question about unleavened bread. A viewer asks, what is unleavened bread? And the answer to that is that bread, uh, unleavened bread is simply bread made without yeast. And there was a meaning behind that. Of course, you make bread without yeast. Uh, the thing that you'll notice very quickly is it doesn't rise. And, and uh, that's probably the best known characteristic. <clears throat> uh, the reason that they use this type of bread, what, how it found its way into the history of the Bible story, is when the Israelites were leaving the captivity of Egypt, uh, they left in such haste uh, that they didn't have, uh, they, they didn't take the yeast with them. And God wanted them to use that unleavened bread as a reminder uh, uh, that they left Egypt so quickly. It was so bad that they were ready to get out of there. And it was a continual reminder, not just of how bad it was, but how good God was for bringing them out of it. Uh, let's look at <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 3, and we can see here what they left and why. Uh, the Lord, uh, Moses wrote uh, through the Lord's inspiration, Do not eat Passover with bread made with yeast, but for seven days eat unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, because you left Egypt in haste, so that all the days of your life you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt. So unleavened bread, simply bread made without yeast. It was a part of Passover, and uh, 
And that uh, was a very important teaching opportunity for the Jews. And God wanted them to always remember that. So that's yeah. what they used. That looks a lot more like a cracker than it very does much so. bread. It's not, yep. a, not a loaf, but <laughs> loaf means leaven. So yep. it rises up if you make a loaf. But if you don't have it in there, it's flat and <laughs> looks like a cracker. That's right. Okay. More like it anyway. All right. Viewer wants to know, uh, <clears throat> why did God change the names of Abraham, Sarah, and Jacob? Well, he did change a few names in the Bible, and the reason seems to be to uh, point out or emphasize uh, their destiny or their, their new identity, if you will. Names meant a lot more in the Old Testament than they do today. We just pick names today uh, because we like the sound of them, or some people are picking them to see how many strange letters they can use in them, or, or something like that. But back in the old days, names had a significance. Uh, for instance, Jacob was meant a supplanter. Uh, he was the younger twin over Esau, but he supplanted him. He took the blessings and all that. Uh, so that was his original name. And God changed it to Israel. And Israel meant having the power of God. So uh, Jacob was one thing growing up, and then when God decided his nation would come through him, uh, he told him, he said, I'm changing your name from supplanter to having the power of God. You're, you're, you're special now. Uh, so that's why he changed names. Abram and Sarai, uh, their names were changed to Abraham and Sarah, which is not much different, but uh, it basically indicates they're going to have many, many children and descendants. Abram meant exalted father. Abraham means the father of many. Now, you can read other little definitions that are a little different, but basically that's it. Uh, he was going to be the father of multitudes. And Sarai uh, means princess or mother, perhaps. And when he changed it to Sarah, it meant the, the princess of many or the mother of many. So uh, he just said, there's change coming in your life. I'm going to change your name to indicate that. Um, and uh, you've got a new destiny. So kind of neat when he changed somebody's name, actually. All right, Toby. Yep. Uh question about the, the bread and the wine and how does that work? A viewer wants to know, do you believe the bread and the wine literally become the body and blood of <clears throat> Jesus Christ? And this is uh, talking about during the, the Lord's Supper, also called the communion, uh, that some folks believe that when that is uh, given, that the emblems themselves literally become, the bread become, turns into the body of Christ and the, the wine or the, 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 the cup becomes uh, the blood of Christ. And that really comes from a misunderstanding of John chapter 6. But the answer to the question is no. We do not believe that that is a, a literal transformation. The actual word for that is transubstantiation. And it's a doctrine where they believe just that. Um, and the reason I don't believe that is because Jesus spoke in John chapter 6 and in many other places uh, using metaphors. He, he gave many pictures. And so when he said, uh, this is my body, what he's saying there is not, this is literally is my body. He's saying this represents my body. Not this becomes my blood, but this represents my blood. And, you know, you, and this was a hard teaching certainly for the Jews uh, because they took it literally and thought he was talking and promoting cannibalism. So 
Uh, no, we do not take it literally. Jesus spoke uh, metaphorically many times. Uh, he said things like, uh, I am the door. Well, he wasn't saying he was six feet tall and three feet wide. That's not what Jesus was saying at all. He was using a picture there. He's the way to the Father. To get through something, you have to go, th the only way through a wall is to go through the door. Uh, he said, I am the bread of life. I wasn't literally saying that you know people should uh, come and, and eat his physical body. That's not what he meant at all. So it just uh, uh, what helps us understand this is lo looking at all the places where Jesus spoke in metaphor. And in, in those places, he's certainly not expecting us to take that teaching literally. He's, as all good teachers do, giving us a picture uh, that helps us understand that a little bit better. Now, when we partake of the Lord's Supper we, and we partake of the unleavened bread and we partake of the, the cup in Churches of Christ, we do that every week. Uh, when you partake of that, it's designed to make you think. It's designed to make you think about the body that was put on the cross for you and the blood that was shed to pay for your pay for your sin. So it, it's designed to do exactly what Jesus established it to do. Uh, he took what they were partaking of, the Passover, and he said, now I'm giving you this supper a new meaning that you're going to carry with you into the kingdom. So the bread and the cup are symbolic of Christ's body and blood. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. This is what Paul said. <clears throat> For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So that's the purpose of, of the bread and the cup is to remember. And that's what Jesus wanted us to do. All right. Good answer. Take this moment and uh, talk about a good way to study the Bible. We've got some free Bible study materials that we've shared for years, and we're happy to share them again today with any of you that haven't taken us up on this offer. It's a good way to study the Bible in your own home. Uh, uh, you can study the Bible and learn a little Bible by watching us each week, but uh, the questions that we get to are Hopefully they're interesting and hopefully we get the answer right, but uh, there's so much more in the Bible and so many important topics to learn about and study about. And so we've got some courses that will help you study the Bible uh, absolutely free. We pay the postage even, so no cost to you at all. You see one of the courses on the screen right now, there are eight lessons in it. <coughs> Excuse me. Eight lessons and uh, kind of lead you through your Bible so you know the different parts of it help you get started in Bible study, help you form a regular habit of Bible study, hopefully. And so we'll provide that to you. If you just call or log on and say you'd like it, we'll get that first lesson out to you and you can learn a whole lot about the Old Testament pretty quickly. Uh, then return it to us and we'll grade it for you and send it back, kind of give you a little accountability there and then uh, give you the second lesson and you can learn a lot about the New Testament real quickly. Uh, and then beyond this course, we've got some more advanced courses that'll teach you some of the real details about Jesus' life and uh, some other great topics. So, good way to study the Bible, absolutely free, and uh, no good reason not to try it. Uh, give us a try and uh, call and log on and we'll get it started for you. All right, got a holiday question here. Uh, viewer wants to know, why do you think it's okay 
to have Halloween. Uh, my daughter's church doesn't believe in it. Well, I don't know what we answered or when we answered a question about Halloween. I don't. I know we've talked about it before, but I don't remember exactly what we said. Uh, uh, I think it's, personally, I think it's okay to have Halloween, and personally, I think it's okay to not have Halloween. Um, it would be the simplest answer to me. Uh, not believing in it, uh, well, we've got Halloween. It's a holiday that means different things to different people, and I think that's the problem. Uh, if you came from outer space and came down and found out tomorrow was October 31st, <clears throat> Uh, by looking around, the best you could figure out is people dress up in kind of weird costumes and uh, they eat a lot of candy. And that's pretty well what you'd figure out Halloween was. Uh, but some folks study the history and they see all sorts of demonic, uh, satanic uh, backgrounds. And uh, a lot of that is, well, not as solid as some people think it is, but some people see a very evil side to Halloween and therefore think, well, I have nothing to do with it. Well, uh, to me, uh, matters like that that the Bible doesn't speak of. It doesn't say this day is bad or anything. It says flee the appearance of evil. And some people see a lot of evil in Halloween. Uh, other people look at it and say it's just a fun day for kids to dress up like Spider-Man and uh, go get some free candy. Uh, <clears throat> so we got a difference of opinion there. Luckily, the Bible does talk about that topic, however. Romans 14 is almost exactly about this topic, although it's not specifically Halloween. What Paul's talking about in Romans 14 is things like meat that was offered to idols. Some Christians thought, well, you can't eat any meat that's been offered to an idol. And some Christians said, it doesn't matter, There's no, the idol's nothing, uh, so it's just good meat. And then there were certain days that people had been converted from another religion and they used to celebrate some day. Uh, the Jews used to celebrate the Sabbath and feast days and all that. Some of them wanted to still celebrate those. Some of them didn't think you ought to. So let's look at what... Uh, Paul said here, and I'll just read it to you from Romans 14, verse 5. Paul said, One man considers one day more sacred than another, and another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Okay? In other words, if it's important to you, then that's the way you ought to believe it and practice it. If you think you ought to keep that feast day, well, go ahead and keep it. If you don't think you ought to, well, don't. Now listen to verse 13. He said, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. So his final answer on it is, you make up your mind what you believe about it, and that's the way you practice it. You observe that day, or you eat that meat, or you don't. But don't judge the other person. But then the caveat is, he says, but... Don't put a stumbling block in somebody's way. Okay? Now, I can understand that on meat. Somebody just brand new Christian, converted from paganism. They used to go to the big sacrifice, the idol sacrifice every Friday night and eat this meat and all that. And if you were having them over to your house, don't tell them, don't buy meat from the idol sacrifice market and say, boy, this, is, this was sacrificed to Baal last night. Uh, that will 
cause them to be confused. They'll say, whoa, I, I thought I got away from that. Although you know it's all right to eat it. Don't put that in their way. That's what Jesus is saying. So now the only way I'd apply that to Halloween myself is if somebody had been a part of a satanic cult, had been a witch, had been where they were used to sacrificing cats on October 31st or something. If they became a Christian, I wouldn't invite them to a Halloween party. Uh, in fact, I'd cancel the Halloween party if somebody like that uh, came to our congregation. But we don't have many instances like that today. Most of it is people that have heard or had somebody tell them, well, that's got evil background to it and we shouldn't do anything with it. Uh, if we left out, didn't do everything that had a pagan beginning, uh, we couldn't hardly operate. Uh, Thursday, we talk about Thursday. That's Thor's day. It's named after a pagan god. Uh, Sunday is named after the pagan sun god. Uh, so everything's got a pagan background in some sense, and we ought to be a little sensible about it. Uh, like I said at first, I think it's okay to let your kids go trick-or-treating, but if you don't think it's okay, I'm okay with that too. So uh, follow Romans 14, and you can't go wrong on this one. <laughs> All right, Toby. And good advice. And now for a question about swearing. A viewer wants to know, is it all right to swear in court? And I'll clarify. I think they mean uh, taking an oath. Uh, I don't think they're, uh, some might think there's anything wrong with using bad language. It might get you in trouble with a judge. But um, no, they're asking about, you know, and we'll look at the verse here in a minute. Jesus says, don't, don't take an oath. And the viewer says, well, what about if I go to court and I'm called to testify and put my hand on the Bible and do you solemnly swear and all of that? And uh, the answer to the question is, yes, that's fine. That's not what Jesus was talking about. And uh, now let's look at the verse in Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. He says there, again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. <coughs> And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Now, Jesus here is addressing the virtue and the expectation of honesty and integrity uh, in all of your dealings. And in the Jewish culture, they had a practice of taking oaths. And some oaths were binding and some oaths weren't. And it depended on what you made your oath on as to whether or not you were held to that. And Jesus says, don't get into that. Don't, don't, I mean, don't make oaths on different things that you have absolutely no control over. The only thing you have control over is you. And he says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. If you're called to court to testify and they ask you to take that oath, you can say yes, or I guess you could say no, but uh, the expectation is that you say yes. And, and then what you're saying there is I'm going to be honest. No matter you know, what, what happens in this case, I'm going to tell the truth uh, and uh, everything that I say will be absolutely true. And that's perfectly fine. Jesus is saying for his disciples here, I want you to be people that when you say yes, they know you mean it. And when you say no, they also know you mean it. 
And both words are valid. And you don't need to get into caught up into uh, certain things are binding and certain things are not. How we might look at that today is uh, there's contracts and and there's a, sometimes you might make a deal based on a handshake and sometimes you might fill out a form. Well, in a court of law, uh, typically a verbal oath or a verbal promise doesn't hold up. You have to have it written down. And Jesus says Christians ought to be the type of people that their word is good. Whether they say it, whether they handshake on it, whether they sign their name on a contract, uh, if you say you're going to do it, you do it. And if you say you're not going to do it, then don't do it. Uh, that's all he's saying here. Perfectly fine to uh, make an oath or take an oath in court if you need to. Uh, just be a person of your word. Be a person of integrity. So that's my answer. Good answer. Uh, viewer wants to know about predestination. Are we predestined? Well, that's kind of a wide open question. That means are we predestined to our final fate, I guess. And yes, that is the doctrine that some teach, uh, basically called Calvinism, kind of wraps it up. Uh, and that doctrine teaches that God selects those who are going to be saved and those who are going to be lost. And there's nothing you can do about it, and it's irresistible, and on and on. Uh, and the Bible does have some verses that sound kind of like that, but the doctrine itself goes so against all the rest of the Bible that we in the Churches of Christ, we all know your Bible, just, just can't buy that doctrine. Uh, there's so many verses about free will. We, we have free will. Uh, we get to choose uh, whether to do right or to do wrong. Uh, if we choose to sin, we'll be punished. If we choose to be righteous, we'll be rewarded. That, that's all through the Bible. Now, the, what do you do with the verses that sound like we're predestined? Let me read you one of the most famous ones. It's in Romans chapter 8 and verse uh, 30. It says, uh, those he predestined he also called, those he called, he also justified, those he justified, he also glorified. Well, there's the process. We get saved, we get glorified, all that. So it uses that word in there, predestined. Now, the best way I can explain that is in an individual sense, we're not. In a group sense, yes, he predestined those who obey him, those who are righteous, he predestined that they would be glorified. Uh, but we still have free will. We got to understand that part of it. Uh, so let me try to make a human illustration that might help us here. Uh, my grandchildren uh, live in another state and their school system uh, in middle school, they have a deal that if you stay in instrumental music band or orchestra uh, for two years out of the three years in middle school, then you get to go on a trip to Disney World that summer after your middle school years. Okay? So in one sense, they are predestined, a certain group is predestined to go to Disney World. But it's up to the individual free will whether they do that or not. Uh, one of my grandchildren has stayed very faithful to playing her instrument and has gotten the reward of going to Disney World. Another one of my grandchildren is not that interested in <laughs> the instrument and chose not to keep playing the instrument uh, so they're not going to make it. Now, does that mean that the teacher said you're going and you're not uh, before the sixth grade? 
No. Uh, they set up the definition, the predestined part of it, and then within the free will of the child, they got to decide which one to choose. Now, I realize that's a poor picture of eternity and all of that, although Disney World's pretty close <laughs> to heaven, maybe to some people. Uh, but it's a foolish illustration, perhaps, but hopefully that helps. Uh, yes, people that do right and follow God, they're predestined to heaven. But individually, we've got that free will thing going on. All right, hope that helps. Let me take this moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. Churches of Christ keep us on the air, and we like to thank a few of them each week for what they do and how they support us. If you live up in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, you might have seen this bus bench uh, where they're advertising Know Your Bible, and the people that put that advertisement out there and help us spread the word up there as the Church of Christ in Sioux Falls, Southeastern Church of Christ, and there's a picture of their building and a great bunch of folks up there. Uh, they are wonderful supporters of the program, and uh, if you know somebody that attends that church, you might drop in sometime and uh, tell them thank you. Or if you see them at work, say, I just I understand you support that program, and I like Know Your Bible, so thanks for keeping it on the air. Uh, of course, if you're looking for a church home, you'd be warmly welcome there and find folks that thought and teach about the Bible a lot like we do here on Know Your Bible. So great folks there and uh, any place in our viewing area, you can probably find a Church of Christ. Tell them thanks for keeping us on the air and uh, visit them sometime. All right, Toby, got one for you here. Sure. A viewer asked the question, how do you reconcile baptizing in the name of Jesus with baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? My answer to that is uh, both of them are in the Bible. Both are very scriptural. Uh, let's look at the two verses on the screen from Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And by the way, who said this? Uh, Jesus. Okay, Acts 2.38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, there are some folks who just camp out on that verse and say, Well, you can only baptize in the name of Jesus Christ. And I say, and Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, you know, he told the apostles, Here's what to do baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. So, uh, you don't need to reconcile them. It's all from Scripture. There's not an exact formula of what to say. That wasn't the point. It was the authority of who you were doing it and the reason for being baptized. So which verse is right? The answer is yes. They are both correct. Uh, neither verse is an exact formula. So uh, don't get too caught up in it. If you if you got a problem with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, take it up with Jesus. He's the one who told us to do it. Yeah. So. Uh, obviously, if they're both in there, yeah. If there's, if it's trying to teach a formula, you got to say these exact words, and one yeah. of them's wrong, right? Uh, but they're both in there, so it's not a formula. Yeah. That's the answer. And my, what I point out to some people that are adamant about that is, if you had to say the exact words just right, right, then a mute person could never baptize anybody. Yeah. You know, uh, and God doesn't make rules like that. So yeah. this is you're telling what you're doing. You're doing it by the authority of somebody, and you say that when you're baptized. I just always have a problem when they say this verse or this verse. Pick which one is right. <laughs> nah, that's not the way it works. In, in a law book, you can do that. Yeah. But in the Bible, in the Bi you yep. got to rectify them. you got to take them all. All right, we're about out of time, but uh, let's answer our trivia question today. And that was about how many brothers did Joseph have? Good old Joseph had a whole bunch of brothers, and uh, you can read that back in the Old Testament. He had 11 of them. 
and uh, the famous 12 tribes of Israel came from Joseph and his brothers. We'll be back next week with some more of your questions and try to figure out uh, what the Bible says about it. We're happy you've been with us today and hope you've got your question answered. If not, tune in next week and we'll do some more of them. We're glad you've been with us. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.